millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone. We're a bit out of breath here. It's actually seven o'clock in the evening on Sunday. One minute past seven, to be precise. Shaky Burning Greg Haynes here for the latest Shaky Show, the latest installment of the Full Throttle podcast. We're in the uh, nice new media centre building they've got here at Thruxton. It's a nice building, isn't it? I've not been in here before. Yeah, no, we did the top of the show from the from the big balcony up the top, actually, and there was a lovely hospitality up, uh, unit up there. I mean, that's mm. obviously what this uh, what this building's used for. Um, and we, we found our way into some little back room and... Uh, I don't know if we should, we should tell everybody that we've, uh, we've had to double check that we can actually get out because we're, they're, they're packing away the building as we speak and, and we're hoping we don't get locked in here doing this podcast. We might still be here when Cuddle Park starts, but obviously we've had two really good wins, haven't we? One for Andrew Irwin, first of his career, and the first for Honda, well, certainly here for seven years, and their first since 2017 at Alton Park with... Um, Dan Linfoot at the time, so well over a year, nearly two years since Honda last won a race. And then Josh Brooks, third win of the season for him in race two. Where should we start? I think we would have start with Andrew Irwin, haven't we? He's finally done it, he's broken his duck. Andrew's one of them riders that you can't help but watch through eyes that are sort of semi-shut, do you know what I mean? Because, mm. you know, there's been times earlier in his career, especially, you know, he was on a super sport bike and stuff, when you watched him and you just thought, oh my God, any second now it's gonna happen, you know. He's got quite an unorthodox style, if you like. He, he kind of sits on top of the bike quite a lot. Yeah, you wouldn't say it was the most conventional of motorcycle racer styles, but he makes it work. And on the Supersport bike in particular, it was even more spectacular. And uh, as I said, you know, it was one of them, you kind of put your hands over your eyes and just kind of peeked through your fingers to, to watch him race. Um, I think a lot of that's because he, in my opinion, is a guy that just, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve he goes out and he rides his bike and mm. he does the best he can possibly do and if that means rubbing fairings or banging bars with somebody that's what he's prepared to do but I think it's fair to say that we've seen him over the last couple of rounds mature into a rider that's sort of turning into like the, the sort of consummate professional you know he's doing a fantastic job and yes he still put some hard moves in today around Fruxton circuit here but he took his first BSB win by you know in doing so um, you know, I was I was actually quite hoping that was going to be like uh, you know your Luke Mosses. Mm. Um, who else was it? I think Jake Dixon. Maybe his first yeah. win comes yeah. a double. Yeah. Um, and and I was kind of hoping he was going to back up the first win with a, with another. But um, one of the things that um, I actually wanted to speak to him about between the two races was that you know it's very easy at um, at Fruxton to let your ego rule your head rather than your head rule your ego and you know he, he does have a, a little bit of a, a history or a, not necessarily a history maybe a reputation for being a tough rider to race mm. against um, which means you get you get respect you know I, I think it's fair to say that you know if you give as good as you get that's that's all that, that, that's how it has to be you know but he essentially went out today did what he had to do um, put some moves on people um, got some moves put back on him um, was prepared to go to the front was prepared to lead and I think that 
nobody should underestimate just how difficult a track this is to win at. And you could argue, well, Josh made it look easy in the second race. He did, but I think that Andrew's Andrew kind of slipped back to the Andrew of old a little bit because he was so interested in being Peter Hickman to the next corner yeah. that both of them ended up letting Josh get away. So they, I won't say they handed Josh the win on the plate because Josh rode impeccably and, and done a fantastic job in race two. Um, but um, certainly perhaps he didn't help himself quite as much as he did in the first race. I got the feeling from where I was sat in the commentary box and the media centre and I was a bit between the two in that race which lasted a long time didn't it with the two red flags as well we'll get onto that in a minute but I got the feeling as though he, he's felt a newfound confidence in himself hasn't he to go out there and put some manners on Hickman put some manners on the other guys around and there was another one who was the other one uh, Josh, uh, Scott Redding wasn't it um, Peter Hickman that was quite impressive wasn't it 160 mile an hour giving him the international sign let's say with the hand but uh, yeah it was great to watch though wasn't it good old Andy Irwin well I actually joked on the, on the screen after that uh, perhaps we should uh, make a new rule where all BSB races are eight, <laughs> eight laps long yeah. um, and maybe do four of them um, you know turn them into four sprint races or whatever but uh, yeah I mean apart from Josh going off the front there at uh, in race two that was probably one of the most spectacular races we've seen in BSB for a while. It's good though, isn't it, for Andrew Aaron? Because we don't have to go about that far to Snetterton last year when he was on your bike alongside his brother in the team at that point and took all those people out down at the hairpin there. The whole paddock seemed like he was against Andrew Aaron. Now he's, you know, he's going home tonight with a win and a second place. You know, it could have easily been a double. So he's there now, and I suppose, did you feel like that when you got your first win at Donington in 2003? You know you can win, but until you've actually done it, you're not a winner, are you? Great. I won in 2002 for a start. I said 2003, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And secondly, that's that long ago that I can't even remember. (laughs) Your brand's World Superbike double was 2003, wasn't it? It was, yeah, you're right. Um, I'm going to pretend that was my excuse. One thing I will say, and it's it's like typical racer mentality, and it sounds a little bit odd, I know, but just before the start of that um, restarted sort of eight-lap dash, I um, nipped off to the toilet and uh, I saw Jason O'Halloran coming out and I saw Andrew going in and I congratulated him on his on his first race and uh, said, you know, well done, that was fantastic. And, and he kind of turned to me whilst we were both going to the toilet and he's like, hey, Shaky, I used to watch your data last year and uh, you were really good through the complex. What am I doing wrong through the complex? He's going, why, why are they making time on me through the complex? And I said, you know what, I think, I think that you look good. He said, no, I, I studied your data last year and you really made such a big deal of the complex to, mm. to open up the exit of Seagrave out onto the, you know, towards yeah. Allard or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, you know, what did you do? And we sat and had a conversation whilst washing our hands, or stood and had a conversation, should I say, whilst washing our hands and sorting ourselves out. And, uh, and he's like, Right, okay, you know what he's like. Yeah, he's yeah, like dead, yeah. dead, uh, dead kind of focused. And I think it's, it's really impressive that, you know, he just had his first BSB win, but all he wanted to do was go out and back it up. And it was like any information he can absorb, anything he can take in, any, anything he can learn, he wanted to, you know, to, to maximise and, and get out and try and use in race two. But as I said, I, I haven't spoken to him since race two, but I wouldn't mind betting that if you were to speak to him off the record, He'd perhaps say, "Oh, do you know what? I just, I just wanted to to win so bad. Maybe, maybe I kind of, maybe my ego got in the way of my head a little bit. You know, beating beating Peter. That the racing was fantastic. Yeah. So much yeah. fun to watch. But yeah, you know, it was a it was a mistake that cost him another win. But at the end of the day, he finished second. 
you know, he's come away from Fruxton, a notoriously difficult circuit to, you know, to, to lead a race, to win a race at, with a win in the second place, and he's now in the showdown. It was a bit like, I suppose, what Danny Buchan did when he won his first race at Knock Hill and then maybe he was a little bit overconfident in the second one and threw it down the road, didn't he? I remember him saying that at the time. But looking at the podium points, if the showdown started now, Shane, it would actually mean that Josh Brooks would only be eight, sorry, six points behind Scott Redding. That's all it would be. It just proves, as Scott Redding said, how important those podium points are. What did you make of the whole Scott Redding situation today? I think Scott once again showed a pretty high level of intelligence. You know, they had two laps to go or whatever, got this long lap penalty, knew he had three laps to complete the penalty and probably figured that he'd get a, you know, a two or three second penalty for, for not, you know, for not taking that, that long lap penalty. In fact, I spoke to, to Scott about five minutes before we started this podcast, and that was exactly what he said. Do you think he feels then, do you think he thinks he actually did see the board? He knew he had the penalty, but chose not to do the long lap penalty. Yes, exactly. Right, he, okay. It's in essence, right? We, we saw in the Supersport race, and you know, this, is, this is not a, a slur on, on anybody, but the long lap loop was in the wrong place in my opinion. We saw Alistair Seeley take a long lap penalty in the Supersport race and pull back onto the track right into the point where the guys were kind of committing for Seagrave. You know, it was dangerous. Now, Scott got a long lap penalty with two laps to go. Um, you have three laps to take the penalty. So he chose not to take it thinking, well, they might give me a two second penalty or whatever, but at least in his head, he finished second in the race and didn't just roll off and finish wherever. And I totally get his, his justification. And I think he saw the super sport race as well and probably thought, you know, this race is dangerous enough. I mean, can you imagine a guy from MotoGP seeing and watching what went on in that, uh, <laughs> in that last eight lap battle? He must've thought, what on earth am I doing here? You know, but, um, He's thriving on it, and he? he's really enjoying it, and uh, loved his racing. And, and as he said in his interview with um, with Rachel, that you know basically he thought that was the safest scenario with the amount of time he had left. Wanted to be part of the battle, wanted to finish second, and uh, and and put it all on the line to do so. So again, then he's been sensible, Scott Redding, isn't he? He's playing the long game. He's thinking he can see himself doing a long lap penalty, coming back on, being hit by someone, getting hurt, and losing this championship. And it wasn't worth it, was it? I suppose what you could say is it was unlucky that's happened today because in a in a full length race he might have just picked up a few points then again he was never going to get his podium points that's all he's thinking about now isn't it you know what Scott's firmly in top of the championship I think he's got a 20 point lead at the top of the championship at the minute you know barring a, a complete and utter disaster which couldn't even happen so we've got what five races left for in the, before the showdown starts so we've got 50 125 points left so Scott's guaranteed his place in the showdown's guaranteed so actually do you know what? There's no point in Scott going racing now unless he's on the podium. Um, yeah. If he's going to be fourth or fifth, why bother? Just pull in, save yeah. yourself. You know, um, it's not. It's not a particularly. You know, it's not an approach that the fans might um, appreciate me me saying. But ultimately, he's not going to fall out of the showdown now, and only podium points count. If anyone didn't hear the explanation today or um, if you didn't watch the races maybe, just so you know what happened, obviously you didn't take that long lap penalty. So what would normally happen then is you're given a ride through penalty. You didn't have enough time left in the race. It was the last lap. And so each circuit has a, a time equivalent to add on at the end of a race, which happens to be here at Thruxton, 15 seconds. So yeah, shame. Second ended up becoming 22nd. We've got to talk about Josh Brooks then. 
What a tremendous win for Josh there. 4.2 seconds ahead of everyone. Was that just him thinking, tyre wear doesn't matter now, it's only eight laps. They're all going to be playing games behind. Let's go for it. But he had to pick them off, didn't he? I mean, what a ride through there. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the, in the second race, to be fair, he got the start, didn't he, and just pulled the pin. I spoke with him a little bit today as well um, and was talking about how his bike looked and how he didn't look that comfortable on it. And for the last few rounds, to me, he looked a little bit... Um, he looked a little bit like he was riding on ice and he actually described it that... I said, you look... Uh, you look like you've got no level of commitment. Your bike looks harsh, your bike looks flat, as in it doesn't look like it transfers weight backwards and forwards when you pitch the bike into the corner. It just looks dead flat, dead harsh, and you almost look scared of it. And he went, you've hit the nail on the head. He said, I feel like if I put the front in how I want to put the front in, I'm going to crash. Um, I've got no, no feeling from the bike at all. Um, he is running quite a different setup on, on his Panigale V4 compared to Scott Redding, who's far, far stiffer in terms of suspension settings and stuff. Although that said, Scott Redding, Scott Redding's actually quite a heavy guy, you know. He's around 85 kilos at the moment, which for a, for a racer is quite heavy. But let's not forget, he's quite a big lad, yeah, you know. Tall, it's not he? like there's 85 kilos of blubber around him, you know. He's, he's <laughs> 85 kilos of solid muscle. He's just he's a big lad. And, and Josh, Josh is probably around, I would have said, probably 10 kilos lighter than that. Um, but even though he's 10 kilos lighter and he's riding his bike with such a softer setting, he's just saying he's not getting the feeling he needed. But, you know, for me, the, mm -hmm. the Josh Brooks that we saw in race two today was the, the Josh Brooks that I kind of expected to, to be seeing a lot more of mm -hmm. this year on that bike. So he's got ridding then, because Grand Prix bikes, motor motor gp prototypes are much more they're stiffer aren't they whereas the superbike's very has a lot more flex in it is that why scott will be running it more like that because he's more used to a, a stiffer bike or is it more rider feel on this bike i think that um obviously the the the, the difference in the in the overall weight of the two guys makes a big difference in the in the mm. spring settings you're going to need scott's probably used to as you said um a, a stiffer kind of setting <clears throat> you know bikes that perhaps don't transfer quite as much weight you know like a like a superbike does Yes, you're right, superbikes are renowned for being a little bit more flexible kind of thing, but you know, Scott actually told me at the beginning of the season at the Silverstone um, pre-season test, if you like, that if he put some uh, Michelin tyres into into his BSB bike and full electronics, it'd probably be a better MotoGP bike than, than mm, the, really? the Aprilia V4 yeah. he rode the year before. But uh, whether or not that's just because he didn't get on with that bike or because he was in love with the, with the new Ducati, I don't know. But... Uh, only he could tell because only he's rode the two. Well, I owe Josh Brooks an apology, by the way. I was telling you about this, wasn't I, Shaky, earlier today. In the last podcast, for anyone who is listening, you may have heard me saying that I'd heard from a colleague in the paddock at Snetterton that Josh had a little bit angrily stormed out of the back of the garage for some reason at the end of the Snetterton race. Well, Josh contacted me and said that wasn't the case. I must admit, I didn't see it myself, as I did say in the podcast. So, Josh, hands up. Sorry for that. Apologies for that. Obviously, that wasn't the case, Shaky. That's uh, what Josh said. He didn't storm out the garage at all. But in a way, I'm happy that Josh listened to the podcast. But I think it just shows how much Josh Brooks cares, doesn't it, about, about the championship and his image and his general reputation. And, and I think that's got to be good quality in somebody, surely. Josh is in a position that he's always craved to be in um, and that he has arguably one of the 
the best teams and, and arguably one of the best bikes on the grid and would arguably be expecting to have done a little bit better than perhaps he has so far. But in Josh's defence, um, at Silverstone he had two technical problems. Yeah. At Donington Park he had a crash. Um, you know, you could argue that was his own fault, but, you know, points-wise he's only a little bit down because of that. If you bolted them points back on to, to Josh's tally so far, um, you know, the, the, the tail at the top of the, of the table would be far different. A lot's been said mm. about the way Scott Redding has basically taken over the, the UK tracks, you know. I think a lot of us questioned whether or not, you know, a Dan Porton Park or a Wet Knock Hill would have the same kind of uh, inspiration for him as a, as a Phillip Island or, a, you know, a Mugello or whatever. And, and, and he's taken to the tracks and, and beaten people, got pole positions at places he's never seen before. And yes, part of that's the team and the bike, but a lot of that's Scott Redding because Josh Brooks has the same team and has the same bike and it's being beaten by Scott Redding. Um, you know, he he beat Scott fair and, fair and square today. And I'd like to think that, you know, if, if the Josh that won that second race today turns up at Cabot Park, there's no reason why, you know, we can't see him back at the front again. Just how hard is that, though, Shaky, to do what Josh did today? I mean, he was won by 4.2 seconds over eight laps, so even I can work out that's over half a second per lap on average. I mean, that that's pretty impressive. I know everyone was fighting hard behind, but even so, to have the commitment to just gun it and pull away as he did is, you know, that's sending a message to everyone, isn't it? I think, you know, the thing you've got to look at is that, that Josh's fastest lap was 0.9 of a second faster than anybody. Um, you know, that... That in itself is is impressive. In fact, he's broke my let record, which I'm not very happy about. Oh no! Um, and he's moved one win ahead of you here as well, hasn't he? I yeah, hate well, to remind you of that. He can have that just in case I come <laughs> back next year. Yeah, um, yeah true. But anyway, um, he took a tenth of my lap record. But uh, the next fastest uh, lap for Andrew Irwin was a, a 15.5. So we went from 14.6 to a 15.5. Mm. Um, you know, we had uh, Peter Hickman actually on a on a 15. No, Jason O'Halloran sorry on a 15.3. Um, Javi Forres on a 15.3 Josh really like you said had the best part of half a second a lap on everybody Javi Forres somehow moving up into seventh place which I think is is pretty impressive on his first visit to Thruxton don't you I mean it must be quite a quite a culture shock to come to somewhere like Thruxton for Javi Forres well do you know what it it kind of puts into into perspective the job that that Scott Redding's been doing in some ways do you know what I mean Um, Javi's a fantastic rider Um, you know he's really helped the the Honda team to develop that bike and and to make it rideable and and, you know he's really enjoying riding he's loving the the thing I know that uh, both he and Andrew Irwin are asking for the same things which means you know that that's good because they're not looking for one thing for one rider and one thing for another um and yeah you could say that Chavez applied himself very very well um very likable character mm. in a good team um and yeah he's finished seventh which which is good um but is it good if you look at the job Scott Redding did yeah so so my my point is and this is no no bad thing towards Chavi whatsoever right but Andrew Irwin on the same bike as Chavi Forrest won race one Josh Brooks won race two but Scott Redding crossed the line in second even yeah. though he didn't finish second so you know does that mean that Chavi done a good job does it mean that Andrew Irwin done an outstanding job mm. um, you know the Ducati at the moment seems to be the bike to beat week in week out um, that's fair to say 
would Chavi Forres be down in seventh if he was on a, a Panigale V4? There's yeah, various ways yeah. of looking at it, but yeah, Chavi's a great guy, um, great rider, plenty of podiums last year in World Superbike, beating the factory superbikes um, of Chaz Davis and Marco Melandri. So yeah, his his uh, his speed, his quality is unquestionable. What do you reckon is trickier than it's one of those classic questions? Because Reading's come from Michelin tyres, MotoGP prototypes, the much stiffer bike, as we said before, very different tracks. Forres was already a superbike man, but he's had to go from all the ele- electronics of Worlds to no electronics here, very different circuits as well. Which is the more difficult? I know they're on different bikes, it's almost impossible to compare, but you know, generally speaking, which would you consider the trickier of the two challenges? Honestly, I think that both riders have applied themselves fantastically. Mm-hmm. You know, Scott's left MotoGP and he's come to BSB and will have got some shocks for sure, yeah? And he has done an absolutely phenomenal job. Chavi and Andrew Irwin both came from a V2 Ducati on Pirelli's and jumped on a, on a Honda, Honda five-blade inline four-cylinder. Um, but they've gone there with, with no kind of preconceptions. They're not trying to turn the thing into a Ducati. They're trying to use the strengths of the Honda, which the Honda team know all too well. I mean, it, it, it's not unfair to say that that's the oldest bike on the grid. Um, you know, the Honda team know it like the back of the hand. They know where it works. The good thing is, as I said earlier on, um, both Andrew and Javi are pushing in the same direction for the bike. Um, yeah, it, it, it's hmm. difficult to quantify. Peter Hickman, he's had a solid weekend, hasn't he? He hasn't had a win here as he did two years ago, but he's 16 points behind Andrew Irwin for a showdown spot. He's had a good weekend, hasn't he, Hickey? He has had a good weekend, but the problem he has is that Andrew Irwin had a better one. Yeah. And Xavi Forres was in the top six, and he's dropped out because of his teammate Andrew Irwin. But whilst Peter Hickman's had a fantastic weekend, top BMW all weekend, blah, 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 he didn't beat Andrew Irwin, and now Andrew Irwin's in a showdown position, and yeah. Peter Hickman isn't. Jason O'Halloran. I mean, he's had one of his best weekends of the year, I would say. His teammate, Taron McKenzie, certainly hasn't with a broken wrist after that uh, incident yesterday. There's still a, a lot of talk about whether he clipped a curb or whether it was a, a tyre issue. We don't really know for sure, do we? But that's certainly what people are talking about and speculating about in the paddock here. But uh, Taron out of action. And his position in the showdown is certainly not confirmed at the moment. So hopefully he'll be able to ride at Cadwell, which, of course, is a very physical track anyway. So mm. the last thing you really need there is a broken wrist. But uh, Jason Halloran, good to see him back at the show and in leading races here. Yeah, Jason actually looked fantastic again. He looked like the Jason O'Halloran of the the beginning of the season. And I thought that that team, that bike, that rider was a match made in heaven, if I'm perfectly honest with you. And it looked like at the start of the season after dominating pre-season testing that it could well be. But absolutely wonderful to see him back at the front. But um, just mental reset, you think? I honestly don't know. I haven't had a chance to speak to him, but I will do. you know, I'm just looking at the uh, the showdown now, and, and it's really interesting for me because we thought there might be the opportunity to fight for one of the showdown spaces, right? Um, coming into this round, we've spoken about it. Um, Chavi Forres was in the last of the showdown spaces, but now Andrew's leapfrogged Chavi by seven points, jumped up into six in the championship, but you've only got to score another five points now to look at Taron's place in the thing and you only need another six on top of that so 11 points basically cover you know first to fourth in the championship so actually potentially for the likes of Peter Hickman who goes very well at um, Cadwell Park for instance you know for for Andrew for Chavi who generally the Hondas go very well at, um, at Cadwell as well 
um, yeah, it, it's not all over. Um, there is the the potential to to score enough points to 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 nick one of those places. And you know, if Taron's sore and finds Cabal difficult, for instance, or Danny has a bad weekend, Danny tends to go quite well. To be fair to him at um, at Cadwell. so yeah. In essence, there are free showdown spaces now to be fighting for when we thought there potentially could only be one. Well, yeah, exactly. In essence, let's hope for Yamaha's sake that this won't happen. But if Taron McKenzie couldn't ride, couldn't race at Cadwell, you know, he might be outside the top six by the end of the weekend. It means we would have no Yamaha in a podium position. And they're the guys who we all thought were almost the guaranteed two, didn't we, pre-season. But of course, we do have three races after that at Alton Park. So, yeah, who knows what's going to happen. Tommy Bridewell, I was a bit surprised, actually, today, because he seemed so buoyant yesterday, didn't he? He was really down all weekend at Snetterton, of course, the anniversary of his brother's passing, Ollie's passing, which is understandable. But yesterday, he was joking with you, wasn't he? He came up behind you when you were live on air and said, what did you do around here? And you told him to pull his finger out and get that lap record. <laughs> but today's just been... It's not, it's not been a bad day, but I'm just looking at the results. He scored eight points, which is eighth place in the first race and then 11 points which is what fifth place so it's not quite as high as i expected him to be really i thought he was going to be at least on the podium yeah i i, I must admit I'm a, I'm a big fan of tommy's and uh you know a big fan of that little rotor rapido team as well mm. you know they're a close-knit team they do a fantastic job and uh i was i was kind of hoping for the kind of fairy tale yeah, weekend yeah. for them but um with their new swing arm as well yeah exactly you know they they work very hard to to try to you know compete with the likes of pbm and and you know some of the some of the bigger teams, and let's not forget they've been leading the championship, you know, for for yeah. points of this year. Um, they've done a fantastic job. But yeah, Tommy's from Devizes just down the road. The Motor Rapido team's not from a million miles away, and uh, I was pretty hopeful that they'd pull off a win here because I think Tommy needs that as well. You know, um, a win right now would be the the shot in the arm that I think that team needs and Tommy Brywell needs. And you know, unfortunately, this this weekend, you know, the, the turn of that shot in the arm, if you like, was was from Andrew Irwin. But let's not, you know, let's not make out like this is a fluke. This has been coming. Um, we've seen over the last two or three rounds, he's been getting success, you know, successfully stronger and stronger, looking better and better on that Honda. And you know, finally, all that hard work starting to pay off. Danny Buchan's had a sixth and an eighth, so we mustn't forget him. He's had a really quiet weekend, actually. We've not seen that much of Danny Buchan, has have we? But he's still fourth in the championship. He's what fifty-seven points behind Bridewell. But as you said before, he's only got Mackenzie six behind him. Irwin's five behind him. That's Andy Irwin. Forrest. Further seven, but I mean that's close, isn't it? Danny Buchan again, like Taz McKenzie, I would say, certainly not guaranteed a showdown spot. He's going to have to go out and fight for it. But what I would say, Shaky, is that he has got three races at Alton Park before the showdown, and we know Buchan's good there, don't we? Yeah, but we know he's good at Cadwell Park as well. Yeah. I don't think uh, I don't think the alarm bell should start ringing for him just yet. Um, you know, you got the likes of Scott and Josh now, and probably Tommy, to be fair, concentrating on nothing other than podium points. You mm. know, to them, a fourth or fifth place might as well not bother. You've got the likes of Danny trying to defend his position, you know, a couple of top fives or whatever at Cabell Park, if he can pull that off or a podium maybe. That'll see him pretty much right, I think, going into Alton Park. Tara McKenzie, obviously, is going to be a bit of a question mark as to whether or not he can get his wrist operated on. I think yeah. he's the, the plan is for the McKenzies to, um, to have that operation tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, and then spend you know the best part of ten days kind of recuperating and in the hyperbaric chamber and doing whatever you got to do to to be strong. Then Andrew Irwin, obviously Honda's home track. Um, yeah. There's always a little bit of extra pressure from Honda to to perform. Um, obviously they're based in Lauf, as I said earlier on. Um, and Andrew will be definitely up for the challenge there. One man who's always fantastic at um, Cabell Park, Peter Hickman. 
um, you know, on the cusp of the, the sort of, well, he's eighth at the moment in the championship, you know, he'll be looking to, to do big things there as well. Glenn Irwin, really quickly, we can't ignore Glenn. Okay, he didn't end up very well today with the bike on fire when he went down at the chicane, but other than that, he's come here on the Tyco BMW, and it's again, it's like the Glen Irwin of old. I don't know whether it's just a, a mental reset, to use that expression again, or whether he just suits the BMW, but it's like he feels like Glen Irwin again. Do you know what? I, I think in the past I've been a little bit criticised a little bit for my criticism of Glen Irwin, but you know what? Glenn and I are, are really good friends, and that's the thing that people don't see. You know, they, they listen to me talk about him and say that he should be doing better on the Kawasaki or doing this or doing that. And that's a fact, right? That, that's, not, that's not me being horrible to Glenn Irwin at all. He knows it. Kawasaki knew it. Um, everybody knew it. It's just that I have to say it, right? Now, the one thing I'll say about Glenn Irwin is away from the racetrack, that boy puts in as much, if not more effort than absolutely anybody to make sure that, that what he, he gets out, what he puts in, basically. Now, sometimes Glenn's demeanor can be um, taken as, as cockiness or, or arrogance or whatever, but there's a great saying in life, isn't there, that you only get out what you put in. Mm. And Glenn puts in so much that I think he rightfully feels he deserves results because of the amount of effort he makes. So when them results don't come, sometimes he struggles to justify it or or says stuff or does stuff or whatever that people, you know, don't don't particularly like. And this isn't, you know, I know how hard he works and I know how talented I think he is. And for me this weekend, to see Glenn Irwin smile, to see yeah. Glenn and Andrew fifth and sixth on the grid, for me, that was exactly what Glenn Irwin needs. And he'll, he'll thrive off that. You know, he'll go to Cabwell now. That, that BMW S1000RR is a nimble little motorbike. Um, that's one of the things he actually likes the most about it compared to the Kawasaki. He says, like, the Kawasaki to him just felt like it'd never go where he wanted it to go couldn't make it get to where he needed it to get to on the track and and he really suffered and he said he got on this bmw rode it for the first time in free practice one and it was like right i want to go there oh shit, i'm already there sort of thing you know mm -hmm. excuse the language but you know practically running over curbs on the inside of the track when he was making the kind of effort that he might have had to make to to make that happen on the kawasaki and as i said he looks happy and a happy rider's a fast rider. He'll go home now, him and Andrew and, and their brother, Graham, will go mm. out now. They'll all be absolutely training their brains off. They'll all thrive off the fact that um, Andrew's had a win. You know, Glenn's buoyant, you know, he's all excited again. He's in that Tyco team, you know, a Northern, a Northern Irishman in a Northern Irish team. Um, yeah. I think we're gonna see, we're gonna see far more of the Glen Irwin that, that we all know is in there um, in the second half of the championship than, than we have in the whole of the first part of the year. Just to close that chapter, Shane, before we sign off, why do you think it was then that it didn't work with the JG Speedfit team? He's basically taken the title-winning bike of Leon Haslam from last year, brilliant team, brilliant rider. It just didn't click, did it, really? But why? It's difficult to understand to a sort of mere mortal like me. I think that there's a, there's a number of reasons, if I'm honest. Um, you know, sometimes you jump on a bike and, and you expect it to do this and expect it to do that. And, you know, every, every manufacturer of bike will have pluses and minuses, um, mm. you know, compared to other bikes, which is why 
um, the format of BSB works so well because you know one bike's strengths at one track will be the same bike's weakness at another track and, and that's why it balances out as well as it does and it means that honestly I believe from the bottom of my heart that if you put the right rider on any bike if I make a comeback next year I don't think the manufacturer you ride for really matters um, I think put the right rider on the right bike or, or, or any of the top bikes and, and they should be able to win races and, and that's testament to the to the championship itself and the way the rules are but you know sometimes you have to appreciate that you know you've maybe spent two or three years riding a particular bike in a particular way and the the strengths of the bike that you rode before might be the weaknesses of the bike that you've jumped on now and I think that's where Glenn found himself I think that his riding style at the moment was was perhaps you know he tried to adjust you know they tried Leon's settings for him they tried his own settings for him but you know sometimes it's easy in practice and it's easy in qualifying it's easy in testing to try to ride in a different way but when the pressure builds and the results mm -hmm. are needed you slip back into your old habits and you know you start riding in the wrong way and then the thing stops working and and things just get difficult but look it was an amicable amicable split um you know i'm sure that the the jg speedfit team you know jack valentine pete extants all of the crew from leon and glenn will will remain friends you know there's there's no animosity if you like and you know, it's unfortunate that um, Keith Farmer obviously got injured at Knock Hill, but um, it opened the door for Glenn to, to ride there at, at Tyco, and uh, yeah, he's going to remain there for the rest of the season and hopefully do a job, you know, sufficient enough to, to keep that ride for, for 2020. 2020, new decade soon, isn't it? It's unbelievable. What, we're in August now, aren't we? It'll be Christmas soon, and then 2020. Three quickfire questions for Shaky Burn before we go. If you chose one of the current bikes on the grid now, what would you fancy coming back on next year? Well... I, I keep joking about this, right? But um, I'd love to ride a Yamaha because I've never run a BSB mm. race on a Yamaha. Um, and obviously the, the McCams Yamaha team is a great team. Um, but at the same time, I, I love Ducati. Um, I, I've been a fan of Ducati bikes and, and a fan of the company and, and I've had a lot of success with the company. Um, so yeah, it'd be great to uh, to do something with them. Um, BMW interests me. Anything I haven't ridden on, um, yeah. and everything I've won on, yeah. I'd like to I'd like to come back and and try to win races on, or not try to win races on, but but win so, races yeah, on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of me. If you cut me open, I think you'd you'd, you'd get uh, a lot of red Ducati blood at the same time. So you know, if I could uh, if I could slot in in a Ducati team. Um, that'd be fantastic, but it would be a great personal challenge for me to win on a BMW or a, or a Yamaha, just because I've never ridden either of those in Superbike, and it'd be great to try and win on one. If you think this will make you sound arrogant, don't answer it, but do you reckon you could more or less pick or choose which team or bike you rode for as a six-time champion, multiple winner coming back? I mean, I suppose there wouldn't be many on, on the grid who would turn you down, are there? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's speechless, listeners. Yeah, no, no, not speechless. I just don't want to appear arrogant or yeah, aloof. Yeah, but that's yeah, my fault. I, um, I almost guarantee I could, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I had to check though, didn't I? Yeah, two more things really. There's, for anyone who's been on Twitter recently would have seen Shaky's been bigging something up. What's going on? You know, we've been getting all excited about this sort of big announcement coming. You're going to have to share something with us now. Well, basically, um, Matt Roberts and myself started working on a, on a biography or an autobiography um, for me last year. Um, I'd had the opportunity to do, to do a book a few years ago and got quite far down the lines of, of getting it all sorted out. And then it, it kind of went wrong. And 
Um, I don't know how many people know, but Matt actually wrote Casey Stoner's book um, and done a couple of other books as well. And Steve Parrish's book, for instance. I said, what about um, us doing a book together? Mm. And he was like, do you know what? It's a great idea. I'd be right up for that. Um, so we started it last year and the plan was to get it out hopefully for this year um, so that it was current. Obviously, May came along and, uh, you know, I had a little bit of an argument with a with a barrier, and <laughs> since then I've not been able to ride a bike. So you'd so, already started talking about the book and no, the book putting was, it together. The book was started. Um, wow, we started okay. back in we started back in Autumn Park actually um, last, last year. year at the first Autumn Park round. Um, we were emailing each other backwards and forwards, typing text, and he was sending me stuff. I was sending it back and blah blah blah. But then um, you know we we did the the deal with the publisher quite a while ago um, but I recently signed a contract and the, the timing of the contract signing actually was impeccable because you know <laughs> the, the rumours of the, the Kawasaki ride becoming available happened but then Shaky signed a contract um, blah 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 and I I put a picture on Instagram of, of an agreement between myself and somebody um, knowing full well at the same time that that, that Kawasaki thing was, was going to happen. Um, so that the timing was almost impeccable because the one thing I didn't want people to think was, as you know personally, you know, September the 10th I see my surgeon again and, and I'll have some more CTs, some more MRIs and, and you know, my, my destiny will almost be decided for me on that date. Um, but what I didn't want to happen was all the work that we put in last year and all the work we've put in so far this year on the book, I didn't want that to seem like a knee-jerk reaction to whatever might happen in September. Mm. You know, it was important for me that this book is um, credible because we've worked so long and so hard on it. So signing the contract and then the press release going out saying the book was actually going to happen for me was perfect timing. Um, the the publisher we've gone with is, is Pan Macmillan and next year Pan Macmillan will do two sports books. They'll be myself and Fernando Alonso. So keeping pretty good company, which I'm really happy yeah. about. Um, the publishers seem super pumped. You know, they've been really, uh, really good and really helpful in, in putting everything together for us. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really happy to to announce that it's coming and I really hope that, that people are going to enjoy the read. So when can we expect to see that hit the shelves and will there be free copies for friends and, you know, podcast colleagues, for example, well, signed copies? You don't need a free <laughs> copy. Um, no, I, I believe the book will be released next August. However, um, I know we got some obligation um, towards the end of October this year, you know, to go out and do some promotional work and whatever else. And then I'm fairly sure, and, and you know, I, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I'm, I'm so dedicated and so focused to making it a, a good book with Matt um, that we get everything in and that it comes across as me. You know, I want, I want people to open my book and start reading it and, and almost hear me reading it to them. You yeah. know what I mean? Hear my yeah. voice. I want it to be me that comes across and we're working so hard to make sure that happens that I haven't even looked into sending invoices or, or doing <laughs> yeah, anything to anybody for anything because I just want to make such a good job yeah. of the book. What do you actually do then? Do you just sit down with Matt and have a chat and then he'll write it in the first person as though you're writing it, obviously? Is that sort of how it works? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that, that what we've done is we've, we've sat down and transcribed a, a load of stuff that we've spoken about. 
um, you know, obviously it's not just me that, that speaks in a book either. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna oh, okay. uh, I'm not gonna allude too much to, to what goes on because obviously I wanna I wanna yeah, sell okay. lots of copies. But um, yeah, the bits that yeah, Matt will send me something that I that I've said and you know, obviously there's a there's a, a bit of a north south divide thing going on. Mm. Matt's from Huddersfield, obviously, <laughs> and I'm from uh, I'm from Kent. So, you know what he types, you know, sometimes comes across different. I I'm trying really hard to then sort of fire that text back to him, um, <laughs> as though I'd write it. You know, so yeah, I might only have to change three or four words around in a sentence or whatever. But I've I've been working really hard at it with him. Um, Everything we we send to each other. Sometimes I'll get back like, mate, absolutely love it. Sometimes I get back like, I don't know if we should put that in. And you know, there's there's going to be lots of stuff in there that that perhaps might might open people's eyes a little bit. Last question, then we really should go because we've overrun again as we always do, which is nice, isn't it? In a way, but obviously you've you know got to get, get back. Told off for? Do you know one of the one comments I get told off well, for um, as a pundit? Yeah. Oh, as the podcast. Yeah. Go on. That we don't do it for long enough. People really, people yeah. Almost want it to be longer. I've had some some absolutely amazing feedback from from our podcast, and you know it makes me quite proud because ultimately, you know, we've got two guys sitting here that are mates and work colleagues, just chatting a little bit about racing, and uh, yeah, people people seem to really enjoy it. So. Yeah, we uh, we'll maybe try at some point in time when we're not rushed off our feet to to maybe make one a little a bit longer. Five as well. hour no, super podcast. Don't talk stupid, Greg. No, not <laughs> five hours, but uh, maybe we'll do an hour one one yeah. day or something. Actually, please send us more suggestions and use the hashtag Shaky Show and Shaky's on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as well. Send us suggestions. What can we do more or less of? Um, right. So we've got an agenda now, a busy one, because I'm hopefully going to get back to Barcelona tomorrow. If Heathrow is not in meltdown, which it might well be, this will be Monday. Um, by the time everyone hears this on Wednesday, who knows where I'll be. What's your plan for this week? Do you know what I've got to do right now? Bearing in mind it's quarter to eight at night. I've, really? got to, I've got to drive back to my house just to see if there's any mail or whatever because I'm very good at getting fines and stuff like that and then not being home for like three or four weeks mm. and then the fines doubling or whatever. Mm. And that really, um, really... I don't want to swear on the podcast, but you can imagine I don't get very happy when I get a fine in the first place. And when it doubles in money because I haven't paid it because I've not been home, I get even angrier. So, um, so how many hours driving is that? So I reckon it's going to take me a good two hours, maybe two and a half hours to get home. Hmm. And then I've got to basically turn straight around and drive to Stansted Airport tonight. Um, I'm staying at the hotel tonight in, uh, in Stansted and then I have a flight back to Spain myself tomorrow morning. And ironically enough, I then have to drive down to Barcelona, where, yeah, where you'll be yeah, hopefully yeah. landing, um, <laughs> yeah. to collect my in-laws who are coming over to my place in Spain for, for 10 days holiday with us. So uh, really looking forward to seeing them tomorrow, really looking forward to getting back out to Spain. Um, yeah, going to do a little bit more work on the book and email backwards and forwards with Matt, but make sure we get to spend plenty of time in the pool as well. Yeah, that's the important thing, isn't it? Have a good one with the family. Good luck with all the uh, the latest book stuff. Have you got a title, by the way? I know, I'm not asking you to tell me, but have you got an idea, a working title? Yeah. All right. You've confirmed? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Lovely. You don't <laughs> want to tell anything. Um, the book's going to be called Unshakable. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's a great title, isn't it? Thanks for I telling think, us. I actually think it was in the press release that, that went out. Um, you know, I had a, a really, really nice comment, actually, from the mm-hmm. from the publishers mm-hmm. who, who basically suggested that um, my skill and my, you know, my passion for life or whatever was only matched by my, I think he said something along the lines of my candor or the way that I could put across a story mm, mm. on paper. Now, obviously, that's a, a lot to do with Matt Roberts as well. But um, 
if he's right and not just being flattering. Um, I think he probably know, is right. Racing, racing went pretty well, so I'd like to think that this is going to be a pretty good book. I'm really looking forward to it, actually. I'm really looking forward to reading that next year. Well, Shane, thanks very much. I will see you at Cadwell Park and have a good time with the family. Thank you very much, Greg. See you there.